So uh, as Ms. Val uh, told you guys, uh, my name is Andrew Slay. I know that I've maybe met some of y'all um, during my time here. Uh, I am Anna's brother, um, and so it's a, it's a blessing and a privilege for me to be able to speak to you guys this morning. Um, please uh, do me a favor, and I've probably maybe met you before, maybe seen your face, um, but uh, remind me your name uh, because I'm really bad with names and it takes me a while to get it, so... If I ask you your name again, please forgive me, but once I have it, I'll, I'll remember it. So, um, But grateful to be with you guys this morning, and just kicking off the spring break with uh, just a great uh, time in God's Word. Um, so uh, we're going to be in Luke 5, 12 through 16, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And uh, as you're turning there, I want us to kind of start our time this morning um, thinking about this question, uh, just pondering this question, um, what prevents us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus. Uh, Sometimes it might be uh, affluence, maybe, uh, material things, maybe even the success that we have in our schoolwork, in the jobs that we have, in the careers that we might have. Um, Oftentimes, I I think, at least for me, um, the thing maybe that, keeps me from seeing my desperate need is uh, ultimately a combination of maybe the affections of my heart being drawn to something else um, or, uh, or also a lack of remembering and knowing who Jesus is. Um, if our hearts and our minds are constantly being pulled away to something else other than Jesus, we're not going to see our need for Christ because we're going to probably depend more upon ourselves as opposed to depending upon the Lord in prayer. And then also, I think if, if we constantly were reminded of, of who Jesus is and, and how great he is and, and what he has done for us, then we would probably be very quickly to go to him and to d- depend upon him a lot more so than maybe uh, we are currently in our lives. So um, just continue to just think about that question and we'll kind of uh, bring that back up at the end uh, during our our discussion um, as we break up into our tables. But the main thing I want you to see from this text this morning um, and really kind of the the answer, I think, to uh, how we can have a desperate need for Christ is that by coming humbly and boldly in faith to Jesus, He is both willing and able to make us clean. So I'll say that one more time. By coming humbly and boldly in faith to Jesus, He is both willing and and able to make us clean. So um, as we get started in Luke 5, 12 through 16 this morning, it's important that we understand a little bit about the context of uh, just the book of Luke in general, and then kind of go into the immediate context of the passage that we're going to be studying this morning. Um, So these are some really good questions to just ask as you yourself study the text maybe throughout the week. Because again, if we don't understand the context of the passage we're looking at, it's really difficult to understand the meaning of that text. So um, in the larger context of uh, this passage in Luke 5, um, we want to ask what, who the author is. Um, so by the name of the gospel, the author is uh, Luke, the beloved physician. Um, and we know this by um, looking at the book of Acts. Uh, halfway through Paul's uh, missionary journeys, uh, the, uh, the way the book is written, uh, it starts to use the, the word we as opposed to he. And so um, at that point, Paul was joined by the author of Acts uh, on these missionary journeys. 
And uh, we later find that that person was Luke. So uh, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, it says that um, he wrote it to uh, Theophilus, ultimately as a, as a sequel to the first narrative he originally wrote to him to explain who Jesus was and what he did. So that points us back to Luke, because in Luke 1, it says that this book was addressed to Theophilus and to give basically an apology or a defense of who Jesus was and, and what he did. So uh, we know that Luke was the author of this gospel. And because Luke's the author of uh, the gospel, uh, well, because Luke is the, the, the author of Acts, he's also, um, or excuse me, because Luke's the author of Acts, and we know that the book of Acts ended in about 62 to 65 AD at the end of Paul's life, uh, we can date Luke to around 58 to 60 because it was written before Acts. Um, the audience that Luke is writing to specifically is uh, someone known as Theophilus, uh, most honorable or most excellent Theophilus, depending on what translation you use. Um, we don't know a lot about this person, but we do know that um, he was uh, a, a Gentile based on his Greek name and that he was a very high-ranking official. Uh, most commentators say that he was a new-found uh, Christian and that this, this gospel is ultimately written as an apology, again, to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, another key message of the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Also, uh, Luke really highlights uh, uh, just the poor and the impoverished. He also highlights uh, and uplifts women in, in his Gospel who are often looked at as downcast and, and, and not as high in society in that day. And so... Um, as we'll see in today's uh, message, in today's story, Luke really highlights uh, the need of uh, Jesus reaching out to the poor and the impoverished. Um, so another uh, key to uh, understanding this, uh, this whole book is try to have maybe one or two key verses. Luke 4, 18 through 19, which is what we'll read in just a second the, as we explain the immediate context, kind of demonstrates a theme of what Jesus does throughout the gospel. But then also Luke 19.10, again, is uh, when Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost. And that's really, as Brother Al kind of said earlier um, in uh, his message in the past, what the book of Luke and the Gospel of Luke is all about. Um, so as we look uh, a little bit more closer now into the immediate context, um, we want to see a lot of things that have happened leading up to this passage in chapter 5. So um, all of these things also, again, demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So in chapters 1 and 2, we see that Jesus uh, was, was born, and it was, a, it was a miraculous birth. And it gives the genealogy of Christ, which demonstrates that he is connected all the way back to Adam. He's both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Uh, we see in chapter 3, his baptism. And the, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then we see his uh, temptation in the wilderness with Satan and overcoming that and defeating Satan in the wilderness. Um, and then in Luke 4, uh, Jesus begins his ministry, and um, he casts out a demon, and then he also heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law of her sickness. Um, specifically in, uh, in Luke 4, um, Jesus, as he starts his ministries in the synagogue in Luke 4, 18 through 19, and again, this, this kind of gives a good synopsis of what the rest of the, the gospel is all about. So Jesus is uh, in the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He, he stands up. And he reads the scroll of Isaiah, and he says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus says that this scripture that they are hearing today is, is now fulfilled in their presence. And so everything else that he does moving forward is fulfilling this prophecy. He is healing the oppressed. He is preaching the good news to the poor. He is setting the captives free. He is uh, setting free the oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And so we want to kind of remember those things as we, as we read the story and as you continue to read the Gospel of Luke on your own. Um, so after this story, uh, we continue to see in uh, chapter 5, 13 through 31, that Jesus demonstrates his authority to heal and forgive sins and his desire to make well those who are sick and uh, see their need for Christ. So Jesus heals the paralytic man, um, and then he also calls Levi to himself, and then he tells uh, the Pharisees when he's hanging out with the tax collectors that he came to heal those who need a doctor. He didn't come to heal those who are well, but those who are sick and, and see their need for a doctor. And that's important as we look at this, this text in uh, verses 12 through 16 today, because we're going to see that this, this man in this story saw his desperate need for Jesus, and Jesus was willing to, to heal him and to cleanse him. So knowing all that, hopefully it wasn't too much, but um, it's, it's going to really help us understand uh, what these verses mean in 12 through 16. So uh, starting with verse 12, I'm going to read uh, these verses, uh, or I'm just going to read verse 12, and we'll kind of roll, roll with it from there. So verse 12 says that while he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so uh, the first thing we see in this text um, is our desperate need to be cleansed is demonstrated by coming humbly and boldly in faith to Jesus. And we see that in verse 12. So leading up to this story, Jesus um, had just come into Capernaum. Um, and he was on the lake. He showed his power and authority to give uh, Peter and uh, John and James a miraculous catch of fish. Peter responded by coming to Jesus, falling at his feet, asking Jesus to leave him because he was a sinful man. And then Jesus called Peter, uh, James, and John to come and to follow him and to come and catch, catch men with him. And so moving from that, Jesus comes uh, into this town. Uh, Luke says that, while he was in one of the towns. So we know that he's probably either in Capernaum or uh, Gennesaret. So Gennesaret was right here on the Lake of Galilee, and then Capernaum was right here. So uh, we know that Jesus was probably in one of those cities at this time. So Luke then tells us that while Jesus was in one of these towns, uh, there was a man uh, who had leprosy. Um, and so... Who, who here has heard about leprosy or read about leprosy or maybe knows a little bit about it? And raise your hand. All right, so, so most of you guys probably have uh, heard a little bit about leprosy, but it's really important for us to understand what leprosy is and what the disease means uh, to really understand the uh, state of what, of what this man uh, was in at the time. So uh, this word leprosy used here shouldn't be understood as a specific like disease, like this is leprosy, but more so of a general term for a skin disease. Um, so uh, in that day, um, you know, leprosy was uh, a, an extremely, uh, well, you could say it's a, it was a deadly skin disease because it was almost incurable. Um, you know, uh, people believed that 
only God could heal this disease. Um, Leviticus 13 and 14 really give the most in-depth description about leprosy and what defines a skin disease. So if you want to read more about that in detail, I definitely encourage you to. Um, but really, uh, some of the basic symptoms of this disease were uh, patches on the skin uh, that were white, uh, running sores, um, and it led to the loss of fingers and toes. Um, and it really uh, also led to the disfigurement of someone's face. Um, it, was, it was really a terrible disease for someone to incur. Um, Numbers 12, uh, 12 actually uh, describes someone who has leprosy as uh, someone who is, is, who is as good as dead. So someone who had leprosy, um, people just considered, you know, they're, they're just as like a dead person. Um, and so this was an extremely uh, terrible disease for someone to, to have. Um, also, uh, when, when someone had leprosy, the priest would uh, declare this person unclean. Um, so what that would mean was is that person could no longer be a part of the community. They could no longer be in the camp. They were, they were separated and placed outside the camp. So this leprosy made the person unclean, and it separated them from man. Um, and then it also separated them from God because, because they were unclean, they, could, they couldn't not only enter the camp, but they couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't enter the tabernacle and worship God because of their uncleanliness. And, and so, uh, you know, this man was completely separated from his community. He was separated from God. He was declared unclean. Um, and then also, uh, because of his leprosy, most people in that day related leprosy with, with sin. Um, they, they, they said that this person clearly had sinned against God, and that's the reason why he had come down with this skin disease. So uh, a leper was really related and associated with uh, a, like a tax collector, you know, who would be known as one of the worst maybe sinners in that day. So again, this man was ostracized from man and God. He was separated from the camp. He was separated from the community. He was declared unclean. He was known as a sinner. He was known as good as dead. And, and so, you know, we really see, uh, you know, just the, the desperateness and the hopelessness that this man in this town is dealing with right now. Um, and Luke actually gives us another detail about this man that the other two gospel writers don't. Uh, not only does this man have leprosy, but this man is full of leprosy. Um, it says that the leprosy is all over him. He is covered with it. So this is an extreme form of this skin disease that this man is dealing with. Uh, Luke, being the physician that he is, probably puts this detail again to demonstrate the need and, and the helplessness that this man is in right now. Um, and so thinking about uh, the state of this man, I really think it's a clear analogy to the sin of the individual, you know, and, and how it relates to us. I mean, ultimately, when we're born into this world, the Bible makes clear that we are covered in sin. We are born into iniquity. You know, David says in Psalm 51 that uh, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Uh, sin makes us unclean and separates us from God and man, just like the leper was. Isaiah 59 uh, verse 2 says, But your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Ephesians 12 says that at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, do we see our uncleanliness and depravity in our lives 
do we, do we see our desperate need to be cleansed by Jesus? This, this man, this leper, he saw his hopelessness. He saw his desperateness and his need to be cleansed by Jesus. And he demonstrated uh, just really great boldness here uh, because even though Luke doesn't say he, uh, he came to Jesus, Luke kind of goes right into saying he saw Jesus. But Matthew and Mark tell us that this leper actually came to Jesus. Um, and so, again, knowing all this information about leprosy, the fact that this man came to Jesus demonstrates the great boldness that he had. He must have heard how Jesus had healed other people uh, previous, and he was desperate to also have that same healing, and he believed that Jesus could heal him. He didn't care what other people would think about him being labeled as unclean and a sinner. See, this man took a great risk by coming to this great rabbi because Jesus could have just casted him out just like the other Pharisees had treated him all throughout his life uh, since he contracted this disease. But he did not care. He was willing to do whatever it took. This man was desperate. And again, a question for us. Are we just as desperate for Jesus and his touch as this leper was? And if we're not, what, what is stopping us? What is hindering us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus? So at the end of verse 12, um, we see the man's uh, response. Okay? We see both, again, his humility. We've already seen his boldness that he actually came to Jesus. But then we see his, his humility and his boldness further exemplified here. So um, Luke describes this man's humility and bold faith with three verbs. Luke first says that he saw him. So the man saw Jesus. He looked to Jesus. He placed his hope completely on Jesus in the fact and the truth that he could cleanse him. Luke next says that he fell face down. Literally, this word means to throw oneself to the ground, and it is often a demonstration of devotion or humility and worship. This is the same Greek word that's used uh, for when the angels bow down to God in Revelation and continually praise Him for eternity. It's the same word that the wise men uh, used when they came and bowed down before Jesus at His birth. And then it's also the same word that uh, Peter just used in the previous story when he saw Jesus' great power. And he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You see, this man humbled himself and fell face down worshiping Jesus, believing that he was the Messiah, believing that he had the power to be able to save him. And then lastly, Luke says that he begged and implored Jesus. Some of your translations might say begged, some, some might say implored. This word simply means to plead for something. So it's not like asking just a simple, uh, can you heal me or can you give me this? It's a, can you please give me this? Can you please help me? Can you please heal me and so this this request by this man is 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 a desperate begging and imploring uh jesus and it's and it's really in boldness because if you look at his request and what he says this man doesn't say if you can heal me if you're able to heal me no this man says i know that you can heal me the question is not if Jesus can heal the man. The question is if Jesus is willing. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The man had no doubt in his mind that Jesus could heal him. He fully believed that Jesus could heal him. The question was, was Jesus willing to heal him? 
And again, another practical application for us is, like the leper, do we approach Jesus in the same way when we come to Him in prayer? Many passages tell us to humble ourselves before the Lord, but also to come to Him boldly. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all of your cares on Him, because He cares for you. Hebrews 4.16, because we have such a great high priest, and Jesus tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy for help in our time of need. And so, you know, this example of the leper seeing Jesus, humbling himself and falling face down before him and boldly begging and imploring him and pleading with him to heal him, believing he can heal him, is a great example for us and how we should approach Jesus in our prayer life. So we've seen in this verse that this man has a desperate need and it's demonstrated by him coming humbly and boldly in faith to Jesus. He believes Jesus can fully save him and cleanse him. But the question is, is Jesus willing? So let's look at verse 13 through 16 and and discover if that is the case or not. So the second point that I do want us to see is that Jesus is willing. Jesus' willingness is, uh, excuse me, Jesus' willingness to make us clean is demonstrated by his compassionate touch and his power to heal. So looking at verse 13, in in response uh, to the man's imploring and begging, Jesus, reaching out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Jesus' willingness to cleanse the man is made clear by the fact that he reached out and stretched his arm out full to touch and to cleanse the man. So some commentators might say that even though the the leper came to Jesus, he still might have come to him maybe at a distance. He wasn't like right super close to Jesus. He fell face down before him, but he probably tried to keep some distance because he didn't want Jesus to, you know, contract the disease. But yet Jesus comes to him and reaches out his hand, stretches out his hand and touches him. Oftentimes in the Bible, uh, the the touch of someone is a, a means of conveying a blessing. And we know that Jesus' touch always brings blessing and healing and comfort all throughout the Gospels. If, if you think about the response that Jesus gave to this man in comparison to the religious leaders and Pharisees of that day, it's, it's very, very drastic, right? The Pharisees and religious leaders didn't want anything to do with this man. They had casted him out. They had called him unclean. They had called him a sinner. And they did not want any association with this man and wanted to stay as far away as possible. Yet Jesus, in complete contrast, comes to this man, reaches out his hand, stretches and actually touches the leper. So for us today, who are we more likely to identify ourselves with? Do we identify ourselves more with uh, the Pharisees and religious leaders who don't want anything to do with those who are labeled as outcasts in our society, those who are poor, those who are maybe less fortunate than us? Uh, or are we like Jesus who, who go to these people and are willing to reach out and stretch out our hands and touch them and to be the hands and feet of Christ to these people? You see, uh, by touching the leper, Jesus not only showed his compassionate touch, but he also demonstrated his power to heal. He demonstrated his great power in the fact that he reached out and touched this leper and he did not become unclean himself. 
Any other person that touched the leper would become unclean themselves. The disease would be transferred to them, and they also would then incur the disease. But Jesus demonstrates his great power in that he has authority and power over this disease. You see, uh, a great uh, uh, word from David Garland in his commentary on this passage actually demonstrates the fact that when Jesus said, be made clean, or I, uh, yeah, be made clean, he uses the, the uh, imperative mood of the Greek, which is a command, um, instead of the indicative mood. The indicative mood was just a statement. So instead of Jesus saying, you know, I declare you clean, he says, be made clean, and he commands the disease to leave this man, demonstrating that he has power over the disease. It's the same word that's used when he casts out demons and tells them to leave and to, to get out of people. And so Jesus demonstrates his power through touching this man and not incurring this disease. Jesus further demonstrates his power in the fact that Luke says that when Jesus touched this man and said, be made clean, the disease left immediately. It didn't prolong. It didn't take time to, uh, to happen. It left this man immediately. This man probably had this disease for many years. We don't, we don't know how long he had it. But just one touch from Jesus and instantly it was gone. The fact that Jesus was able to cleanse this leper again is another demonstration that he is the Messiah and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, if you look later in chapter 7, uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and uh, he comes to his disciples and he says, you know, is this the person that we've been waiting for? Go and find out for me. And his disciples went to Jesus, and Jesus said, go and tell him that I healed a leper and I cleanse, uh, or I heal the leper, I give sight to the blind, um, and I'm setting the, the captives free. And so he goes and tells this to John because this was prophesied about him in the Old Testament. And so again, it's just another demonstration of Jesus' power to be able to heal and that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord. Similarly, God has demonstrated his great compassion and power that he is both willing and able to cleanse all people who put their faith in him. Exodus 34, 6 reminds us that the Lord is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Ezekiel 18, 23 and 1 Timothy 2 demonstrate that God is willing and he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires all people to come to repentance. You see, when Jesus, when, uh, when Jesus said, I am willing, and the man even asked, if you are willing, he was saying, do you, does this please you? Do you desire to do this? And we know from these passages in Ezekiel and 1 Timothy and even throughout Jesus' ministry that his desire and will is to bring all people to himself. Romans 8.6 uh, again demonstrates God's willingness to save us all through sending his son Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so just as Jesus reached out his hand to fully touch and cleanse the man, Jesus has fully reached out to all of us by coming down from heaven, by taking on flesh, by dwelling among us, and fulfilling the law completely for us. He demonstrated his willingness by fully stretching out his hands when he was on the cross, and he took upon himself our sin and our shame so that we could be cleansed of all of our sickness and disease through faith in him. He also demonstrated his power to uh, cleanse us of our sin through his power over sin and death in his resurrection. Acts 2.24 says that he ended the pains of death and it was not possible for him to be, healed by, uh, to be held by death. 
1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that through faith in Jesus, he gives us the victory over sin and death. Just as this man was immediately cleansed at the touch of Jesus, the Bible makes clear that through repentance and faith, the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are immediately cleansed and made new, and we are made a new creation in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us. And also, too, remember this man, when he begged and implored Jesus, that, that word... Um, is often used in other places in the Bible as a, a prayer. Um, and so Jesus was willing to answer this, this man's prayer and this request to be healed. And that, that shows us that Jesus is willing to answer our prayer and answer our request. It's his desire to answer our prayers. He wants us to come to him, humble ourselves before him, and, and, and implore him boldly to answer, our, answer the desires of our hearts according to his will. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 is such a great promise. I would highly encourage you to memorize this passage if you haven't. It says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. For whoever who asks receives. Whoever who seeks will find. And whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So it's, it's, God has clearly demonstrated his willingness uh, through his compassion and through his power that he has the ability in, to heal us and to cleanse us and he has the power to answer our prayers according to his will, that he is willing to do these things. So uh, looking at the next verse in, in verse 14, we see kind of uh, uh, there's a turn in the story. Um, Jesus cleanses this man, he touches him, and he says, be made clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Verse 14 then tells us, Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So, uh, you know, interesting um, that Jesus would kind of give him this uh, command. Um, instead of Jesus telling him to go, go and tell others what I did for you, just as he did with a demon-possessed man in Mark 5, Jesus actually orders the man not to tell anyone. Um, however, um, there's, a, there's a but there in, in verse, uh, or excuse me, before I go to that, the reason why um, Jesus ordered the man to keep silent, uh, some commentators, and um, Aaron did a good job the other, the other night, last Sunday night, kind of giving a, a clear reason for this. Um, but one of the reasons why Jesus might have told the man to keep silent is that he didn't want uh, people to just flock to him because he was a miracle worker. Um, in that day, a lot of people that maybe have worked wonders, they would want people to come to him. They would want people to see how great they were. But this, again, demonstrates kind of Jesus' humility here because he doesn't want people just to come to him because they want to be healed. He wants people to come and follow him because they believe in who he is as the Messiah. And they, they, they want to... Uh, to live in accordance with who he is. Um, but also, too, um, if, if someone's faith is based on just a spectacle, normally it's not going to last. Um, you know, you think about all the things that the Pharisees, all the things that people saw Jesus do, yet how many people actually followed him faithfully. And when he started to give tough sayings and he started to say, you need, you need to follow me to the cross, I'm, I'm going to lay my life down and you need to do likewise people started to go away and leave Jesus. And so, um, again, Jesus didn't want a faith that was just simply based on a spectacle. Um, 
But Luke gives a contrast that's really interesting. He, uh, Jesus says, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. So, you know, Jesus says, don't tell anybody, but I want you to go tell the priest and offer a sacrifice. So we've got to ask the question, why would Jesus make this point? Why would he desire this man uh, to go to the priest? Why is that so important? Um, I, I believe that the reason why Jesus told him to do this uh, was that it was, a, it was another act that would really continue to show the power of Jesus and that he is the fulfillment of the law and he is the Messiah. Um, so it's really important for us to understand the way that someone was purified from leprosy. Uh, again, I'm not going to read Le- Leviticus 14, but just kind of give the main highlights. Um, but uh, the process of uh, purification for someone who had leprosy was uh, first a person had to be examined by the priest outside the camp. Next, two birds were taken. One was sacrificed. And this represented that death must certainly result from the person's former condition of uncleanliness. Next, the other bird was covered with the blood of the bird that was sacrificed and then also covered with water. And it was let go to symbolize freedom and liberty from the uncleanness. The blood and water were then sprinkled seven times on the person to identify themselves with the bird that was set free. And this, this stage represented uh, reconciliation with man and with the people. Then they had to go through another purification rite that uh, gave them purification and reconciliation with God. And so this happened by uh, the person offering a male lamb for a trespass offering. And then they had to offer another lamb that was offered in the holy place in the tabernacle as a sin offering. The blood from the trespass offering would then be placed on the person's right ear, finger, and toe to symbolize sanctifying the organs of hearing, acting, and walking for God's service. Oil was then placed on the same places, and then the remaining oil was poured on the individual. Now, one interesting truth about this, uh, the story about uh, the leper uh, that we're reading is uh, contrary to what would normally happen, normally the priest would purify the man and the man would be reconciled with the, the people, then the man would be reconciled with, with God in the temple. Uh, we see in this story the exact opposite happening. Um, instead, of Jesus, instead of the man being uh, uh, made right with the people first, he's made right with God first through Jesus cleansing his disease. Then after he's made right with God, Jesus tells him to present a proper sacrifice so that he can be made right and being reconciled to man. And so this kind of highlights that the important truth that uh, to be made right with man, we must first be made right with God. We cannot be made right with man if we have not been first made right with God. Um, and so by Jesus commanding the man to follow the law and to show himself to the priest, he demonstrated that he did not do anything contrary to the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so by Jesus commanding the man to go and show himself to the priest, he was demonstrating that he didn't, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he wanted the man to, uh, to fulfill uh, what Moses had commanded um, as a testimony to the priest. And so similarly, uh, we see Jesus' fulfillment of this law of the purification and the fact that just as the man had to uh, offer a trespass offering, a male lamb, and a sin offering, you know, ultimately Jesus is uh, the man's trespass offering and our trespass offering and sin offering. And it's through his blood that our bodies are sanctified for the service of God. You remember the purification rite, uh, the death of the lamb. They took the blood and they sprinkled it on the man seven times. 
on his, uh, his right hand, on his ear, and on his right toe. And the same thing happens with us for us to be cleansed. We have to be cleansed by the blood of Christ fully through repentance and faith. And our bodies then are dedicated to God's service. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Colossians 1.21-22 tells us that we've been reconciled by his physical body and we have been made holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Now Luke ends this, uh, this passage, or Jesus, Jesus ends this uh, command by saying that you're going to do this as a testimony to them. And uh, basically he's talking about the priest here and saying that when he comes to uh, the priest and uh, goes through the purification rites, he's going to demonstrate that the priests have no justification to say that Jesus is trying to uh, abolish the law or Jesus is not following the law. Jesus, fulfilly, Jesus fully fulfilled the law and obeyed the law when he was on this earth. And, and this is a testimony to them. Uh, also, uh, the, the Greek word that's used to describe this phrase, testimony to them, could also be translated testimony against them. And so uh, the fact that uh, Jesus sent this man to the priest was also to demonstrate to the priest that Jesus had the power of God dwelling inside him and that he was able to cleanse a leper, again, proving that he had the authority to do only things that God could do. The next story after this is when Jesus healed the paralytic man, right? And if you remember that story, Jesus demonstrates through uh, healing the paralytic man that he has the authority to forgive sins, something only God can do. And he does the same thing here by healing the leper, something only God can do. And so as we, uh, as we close and look at this last verse, we'll see uh, what happens and what the response of the man is to Jesus' command. So verses 15 and 16 say, But the news about him, Jesus, spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And so, instead of obeying Jesus, this man completely disregards uh, and really disobeys what Jesus told him to do and uh, goes and tells everyone what has happened. Uh, now, Luke doesn't specifically tell us that this man did this, but uh, Mark does. Mark does tell us in his gospel account of this story, that this man goes out and tells everyone uh, what Jesus had done for him. And uh, as a result of this, uh, this caused large crowds to come to Jesus and to hear his message and to be healed of their sickness. Now, uh, at the end of uh, verse 16, or at the start of verse 16, Luke ends the story on yet another contrast. So he says that news spread about him. There were many crowds coming to him. Many people were being healed of their sickness, yet Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Now, again, Luke's the only gospel uh, writer who gives this detail about Jesus going to deserted places and praying. Mark says he goes to deserted places. Matthew mentions that he does as well, but he doesn't mention the fact that he went and prayed at this point when all these crowds were coming upon him. And so, uh, again, another question to ask is, why does Luke make this point? What does he want us to learn from this? What does God want us to, uh, to hear uh, and to apply from this, this passage? And, you know, I think ultimately Luke wants to give Jesus as an example to us as his followers that we too should spend alone time with the Father in prayer, even in the midst of all these crowds and all of these people pressing upon us, even in the midst of the busyness and the things that are surrounding us in our world, we need to come away from that and escape that and to spend that alone time with the Father and make that a priority. Jesus clearly demonstrated that 
He needed the Father. He was desperate for the Father's presence. And he was desperate uh, for the Father's uh, power and uh, guidance to be in his life. Um, again, uh, Luke demonstrates where Jesus' power essentially comes from. It comes from dependence upon the Father and the Spirit. Yes, Jesus was fully God. Absolutely. Um, but he was also fully man. And, you know, Jesus had to fully depend upon the Father and the Spirit to be able to walk in holiness and faithfulness. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't a superhuman. Um, Jesus was just like me and you. And, um, you know, when he took on flesh, he submitted his full divine nature to the Father. He didn't lose it. He was still fully God. Yet, he did not access it unless the Father gave him the ability and the authority to do so. So we need to remember that, that Jesus fully depended upon the Father and the Spirit to be able to fulfill the ministry that he had been given to do. And I think that uh, you know, Luke ends his story uh, basically as uh, a challenge for us to live in that same way in our lives today, to, to fully depend upon the Father and the Spirit uh, to give us the strength to fulfill the ministry that he is calling us to. And, uh, you know, so I know we've talked a lot about um, a couple of things, um, but again, I just want to kind of go back to that question that I posed at the beginning of uh, our time together. Uh, why or, or what is stopping us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus? Why is it that we often rely more on ourselves than upon God uh, for the ability to do the things that we need to do throughout the day? Uh, do we see our desperate need for Jesus? You know, I know that most of us here are probably believers um, and I probably confess faith in Christ and have been, have been cleansed from our sin. But just because uh, we, we have, maybe we have, you know, um, been cleansed of our sin doesn't mean that we stop needing Jesus, that we, we, we don't need Jesus anymore. Uh, we need Jesus just as much as we did before we knew Christ, before we came to faith in Christ. And, and we need to be just as desperate as this leper is. We need to be just as desperate as Jesus was to spend that communion with the Father. Um, and I also want us to be reminded this morning again that, that you know, Jesus is willing to answer our prayers. He is willing and able to cleanse us of our sin. He is able to help us. Maybe, maybe you are going through a, a, a struggle in your life where you have a stronghold, a, a sin in your life that you've been fighting, you've been trying to get rid of, and you just feel like, there is no way that this can happen. I can't overcome this. I want to tell you and remind you this morning that God is able to help you and to help you overcome whatever you're dealing with. But you must humbly come before him in boldness and beg him and implore him to help you and to cleanse you and to give you strength over this. And I fully believe that he can and he will because the, the, the word makes clear that that's his desire for all of us. I know that in my life, I've seen that happen. I've seen Jesus help me to overcome an extremely difficult stronghold in, of sin in my life that had, that had entangled me for years. And, and when I came to the point of the end of myself and, and implored and begged him and came to him face down and asked him to help me, he did. And he was gracious to heal me and to give me power over it. Again, it's, it's the power of Jesus that he is both willing and able to make us clean. 
And so uh, as you go around your tables, I just have some questions to, to talk about uh, amongst uh, yourselves and just to try to practically apply uh, some of these things uh, and some of these truths to our lives. So the first question, again, what specific things are stopping or hindering you from seeing your desperate need for Jesus? Second, if you were honest, who do you identify yourself more with? The self-righteousness of the Pharisees or the compassion of Jesus? Third, how can we practically uh, remind ourselves each day of our desperate need for Jesus? What are some things that we can practically do each day? And then lastly, who is someone specifically and practically that we can demonstrate the compassion of Jesus to in our lives this week? I really want us to make sure that we respond to God's Word this morning. As James says, you know, um, if we just hear God's Word and don't do it, it, it means nothing. We're just like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then immediately leaves and forgets what we look like. Um, so I, I really hope and pray that you'll contemplate some of these questions and, and, and respond to what God is calling you to do today and to live out His Word uh, this week uh, as we go about um, our different avenues of work and life. Um, so let me pray for us uh, as we close.